Chapter Fourteen, Part One of Nequa, or the Problem of the Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Nequa, or the Problem of the Ages, by Jack Adams. Chapter Fourteen, Part One. Through the Air to lake biblis the journey by airship from orbitello to lake biblis was as usual most interesting and never tired of these aerial flights my first was from the deck of the ice king in the middle of Ossan ocean to the continent and now i was returning to the ice king from the middle of the continent our course was an airline several points south of east over the fertile valley of the cocytus for a distance of twelve hundred miles we were first on one side of the river and then on the other with a bird's-eye view of this highly improved valley we travelled at a speed of about three hundred miles an hour which brought us to the vicinity of lake biblis about ten o'clock a m from our elevated position of several thousand feet we had a full view of the surroundings the lake is an expansion of the river from five to ten miles in width and thirty in length surrounded by a magnificent boulevard on which we could see numerous vehicles moving the surface of the lake was dotted over with watercraft of various sizes and descriptions on the north side oqua pointed out the hospital to which our sailors had been sent the matron's home where bonadilla presided a home for the aged and the crematory on the south side and situated back on the bluff was the airship factory where battelle was employed superintending the completion of his improvements on the airship and the transportation headquarters in the auditorium of which it had been announced that the world's parliament was to meet the following december and give us a welcome to the inner world as citizens at large anchored in front of the transportation building i recognized the ice king with the stars and stripes floating from the masthead the valley of the cocytus had the appearance of having originally been a vast inland sea extending about twelve hundred miles from the coast range on the east to the great continental divide on the west and from five to six hundred in width bounded by high lands north and south at the east end of the lake the cocytus flows through a deep gorge on its way to the ocean carrying the surplus waters of a vast valley of rich alluvial lands such is the geographical location of this favorite gathering place for pleasure-seekers as we approached the famous lake we reduced our speed and took a little time to contemplate the magnificent scene presented to our view but we have neither time nor space for an adequate description as we reached a point directly above the ice king we began the usual spiral descent and in a few minutes were once more upon the familiar decks of the old ship and exchanging cordial greetings with our old shipmates and many of our new-found friends and associates it was a happy reunion pat and mike gave us a most warm-hearted irish welcome they informed us that they had been installed as custodians of the ice king and were faring sumptuously i asked mike how he liked the people and he replied laconically better than i did but i don't know how much i pressed him for an explanation of his doubtful compliment and he replied that he could not understand their queer ways at first he thought that they had bewitched pat 
as he got right up from his sick-bed and declared that there was nothing the matter with him any more as pat had stayed well it was perhaps all right but it was queer then ever since they had been at lake biblis they had got everything they wanted but when they offered to pay for it the shopmen would look at the money turn it over as if they did not know what it was and hand it back in fact continued mike i don't understand them at all they never work to amount to anything and yet they have an abundance and that of the very best they never pay for anything and they never charge for anything ever since we have been here it has been one continual coming and going and merry-making but this free spread cannot last all the time or i miss my guess well mike i replied you seem to be doing well enough for the present at least and ought to be satisfied and i can safely assure you that you need have no fears for the future these people have learnt that it only takes about two hours labour per day to produce an abundance of everything they need in taking care of this ship so that they can come and see what kind of vessels we have in the outer world you are doing all that will ever be required of you and when you want to take a furlough you can travel wherever you please and it will not cost you anything but the evidence that you have been serving the people by taking care of this ship maybe so said mike but i don't see how they can afford it i had no time to explain the situation to mike as it had been arranged that captain Gannot should again take his old position on the ice king and give its visitors an excursion on this to them strange craft the steam age with these people had long since given place to electricity and compressed air as motor powers and so a steamship in actual use was something they had never seen captain Gannot entered into the spirit of the occasion and summoned all the surviving members of the ice king crew to take their accustomed places when this understanding was agreed upon polaris and i own came forward and invited us below for an early dinner we found that on the same table where they had taken breakfast with us on our first acquaintance they had spread such a repast for us as had never before been attempted on the ice king a goodly number joined us in doing ample justice to the delicious viands after dinner captain Gannot invited the company present to go with him and have a look over the ice king while she was being made ready for the excursion the first place to which he conducted us was the engine-room but it was so neat and clean that he did not recognize it and turning to houston he said what does this mean i thought that you told me everything was ready to get up steam on short notice there is not an ounce of coal inside and the bunkers are as neat as a lady's bandbox how do you expect to get up steam without fuel we shall burn water said houston burn water exclaimed the captain have your new surroundings led you to believe that we can set aside the laws of nature nothing of the kind said houston but i am learning much concerning the laws of nature that i never before suspected you see this little metallic cube i drop it into this jar of water see it effervesce i apply this match see how it burns this little cube dissolving in the water converts it into its original gases you see now how we can burn water this tank connected by these pipes with the furnace under the boiler contains water that has been charged with these metallic cubes the constituent elements of which have been found in coal and lime i now turn on this prepared water and apply an electric spark see the fierce flame we shall soon have steam without having vitiated the atmosphere with smoke which in this country is regarded as a nuisance not to be tolerated thy own superintended this part of the arrangements wonderful wonderful was all that captain Gannot had to say and he passed out leaving houston at his post as engineer 
i remained behind as i wanted to have a talk with houston concerning what oqua had told us that he and i own intended to be registered as man and wife and that he expected captain Gonneau would object i asked him why he expected any opposition from the captain because said he captain Gonneau, with all his good qualities is a living personification of every popular error which forms a part of the outer world education law and custom but i asked on what grounds do you expect him to object he will said houston unless i have misjudged the man raise the question that i have a living wife from whom i have no legal grounds for divorce this is true so far as the law goes but false in every feature that constitutes a true marriage captain Gonneau is familiar with all the particulars and still he entirely disapproves of the course i took in taking the law into my own hands and severing the bonds just as soon as i discovered the fraud that had been perpetrated on me won't you give me the particulars i asked i'm especially interested in learning all about it i have no objections said houston it is no secret but steam will soon be up and our time is limited but please give me a brief outline i persisted i'm indeed vitally interested in learning the principal facts in this case houston regarded me for a moment with a puzzled expression of countenance and then said i will for your sake jack try to make a long story short my father was a planter and supposed to be wealthy our family was proud and aristocratic my father had a ward in a distant state who lived with his sister she was heir to an immense estate though i had never seen her i had been encouraged to correspond with her and we had exchanged photographs her letters indicated remarkable talent and the highest culture while her photograph proclaimed to my imagination that she was a beauty i was but a boy and i confess that i was fascinated by her letters and the affectionate interest by which she led me to the most ardent declaration of my admiration such was the relation that had been established between us when my father took me into his confidence and declared that he was a ruined man and our family irretrievably disgraced unless i could prevent it by a marriage with his ward zita wilde the time was at hand when he must account for her estate which had been lost through unfortunate speculations and that the settlement would reveal a state of affairs that would send him to prison for a long term of years i objected to the idea of marriage with a girl i had never met no matter how favourably i had been impressed by her photograph and her letters but my father's special pleading and the pressing nature of the danger to the family name overcame my objections and the day was set for the marriage everything was artfully arranged we arrived in the evening and met the bridal party at the church i was charmed with the appearance of my bride we were married at once and took carriages for the home of my aunt where a splendid wedding supper awaited us within an hour i found that i had married a beautiful idiot i was shocked and stole away from the guests into an upper room i wanted to think a lamp was burning on the table my eyes fell upon a letter written to my father by my aunt i recognized the handwriting it was my aunt who had written the letters that had charmed me so much in this one she deplored the deception that was being practised upon me but justified it on the ground that it was necessary in order to save the honour of the family my mind was made up i passed out into the darkness of the night started for the nearest seaport and found employment as a sailor i have never returned home since i learned that my father got his ward's fortune in my name captain Gonneau is personally acquainted with my father and has seen his ward at his house who was introduced as his son's wife i explained the situation to the captain but he disapproved my conduct in very emphatic terms and i should have left the ship but for the fact that i had engaged to go with patel on the expedition i have also explained the situation to dion and my part in this transaction meets her approval we shall register as man and wife 
and if the captain objects so much the better as it will place my conduct in the correct light the marriage was a fraud and no one ought to be bound by a fraud i can most cordially sympathize with you i said it is certainly a terrible wrong to compel people to associate in such an intimate relation when their entire natures are in rebellion against it it cannot be wrong to sever such bonds regardless of the claims of church or state a relation that is wrong in and of itself cannot be made right by lawmaker or priest thank you said houston i am glad that i am not alone among the crew of the ice king indeed i believe that ultimately even the captain will see this question just as i do our intention was to register while we were in orbitello but okwa requested that we should wait until this excursion and to please her we consented i do not know her reasons for advising delay but i suppose it is all right i think i understand it i said and you may rest assured that her reasons are good and good will come out of it i hope so said houston but the steam-gauge points to one hundred and here goes to all whom it may concern and suiting the action to the word he pulled the rope and the steam whistle resounded far and wide something entirely new to these people in a country which had abandoned steam as a motor power so long ago i heard upon deck and joined captain Gonneau. captain battelle was at the wheel and all was ready the decks were crowded with excursionists who had never been on board a steamship and knew nothing of steam as a motor power except as a matter of history all were anxious to see the vessel move and captain Gonneau did not keep them waiting he signalled the engineer and immediately the ponderous engines began to move and the ice king was backing out into the water and swinging around with her bow toward the head of the lake she obeyed her helm beautifully and started off with a speed of which we were proud the route determined upon kept us near the larboard shore while some miles to the starboard we could see a magnificent craft that reflected the light of the sun like burnished silver i asked Oqua what it was that said she is the silver king an electric yacht built of aluminum she brings a load of excursionists and expects to take us down the river she is remarkable for her speed and her splendid accommodations she will meet us at the head of the lake i found too much to look at to take up much time in conversation but cannot at this time indulge in descriptions suffice it to say that the scenes presented on the boulevard surrounding the lake on the surface of the water and in the air were most animated and all were moving as if to meet us at the head of the lake as we approached the mouth of the upper Cocytus, we met the silver king and while the excursionists were exchanging greetings a strange little craft with a dragon's head and propelled by oars shot out from under the cover of the river bank at the bow were our norwegian sailors leif and eric plying their oars most sturdily and singing a weird song in which i distinguished the mythological names of odin and thor the oarsmen were dressed in a strange fantastic style and were armed with spears crossbows swords and long hunting knives this strange craft came out of the river and both the ice king and the silver king as if by common impulse stopped short in their career while the viking for such it was took its place between them to say that i was astonished at the appearance of a style of vessel that had been obsolete for centuries but feebly expresses my surprise and i asked norena where it came from it came from the outer world he said about two thousand years ago and brought a warlike crew the general appearance of which the superintendent of festivities has tried to imitate the historians of that period could gather very little information from them concerning the country from which they came they said that the people had to leave because it was so cold this gave rise to the false impression that the outer world had become uninhabitable and that these were the last remnants of the people these people i said were known as northmen and their ships were called vikings they were the most daring of navigators and penetrated every portion of the outer world 
and it is not at all surprising that some of them found their way to the inside this would probably explain why so many of your names are identical with those of the scandinavian countries that is correct he said many of our people are descended from this stock and still perpetuate the names our records preserve the language they brought with them as carefully as our chemists have preserved this little boat do you intend to say i asked that this is the original boat that found its way into the inner world a thousand years ago i thought that it was a reproduction how was it possible to preserve it so long yes he said this is the original boat and has been preserved by forcing a chemical solution into the wood which makes it as durable as granite as we were speaking two powerful metallic arms operated by machinery reached down from the deck of the silver king and lifted this little viking and its passengers into stocks that had been prepared for it with the seeming tenderness of a mother lifting her babe to her bosom so suggestive was the manner in which it was done that i turned to norena to ask the meaning which he anticipated by saying this represents the tender care that vigorous youth ought to bestow upon age this little boat is highly prized as in the process of evolution it may be regarded as the progenitor of the silver king if there had never been such boats as the viking there never would have been an ice king or a silver king all things must develop from small beginnings the ice king and silver king now headed toward the mouth of the lake were lashed together and the excursionists on both vessels passed freely from one to the other the ice king attracted much the largest number but i was more anxious to inspect the silver king norena introduced us to captain thorfinn as visitors and seamen from the outer world he conducted us first to the motor room and explained the workings of the machinery and showed us a system of air-tight compartments which would he claimed absolutely keep the vessel from sinking no matter how badly the hull might be injured he stated that even the decks would float like cork when we reached the upper deck of the silver king we found that the oarsmen on the viking had exchanged their warlike equipments for musical instruments and as we came up they opened with strains of the most thrilling music that i had ever heard as if in response both the ice king and the silver king seemed lifted up on the crest of some mighty wave and what appeared to be some monster marine animal arose out of the water behind us and moved to the starboard side of the ice king it had a resemblance to a gigantic turtle but was fully three times as long as it was wide as soon as the water ceased to flow from its sides a hatchway opened in the centre and mcnair and iola made their appearance and began to wave their handkerchiefs to us i was too much astonished at this strange apparition to even ask what it was norena relieved my embarrassment by saying this is the sea rover a submarine boat that came up the middle of the lake near the bottom the three boats will be lashed together and thus proceed down the lake while the excursionists will have the freedom of the entire flotilla and may amuse themselves in any way they choose see there the sea rovers have brought up their dancing floor it is plain that they propose to have a ball but i have some business that i must attend to while the crowds enjoy themselves as this is to be a private party of invited guests of which you are one i shall expect you to join us in the cabin of the silver king i intuitively knew what was coming we found the cabin as exclusive as could have been desired for a private party patel and polaris houston and ione morena and oqua mcnear and iola and captain Gonneau, and myself constituted the party on this occasion when we were all comfortably seated norena said i have invited you in here because we want our esteemed guests from the outer world to understand all of our usages we are going to have what in their world is called a wedding ordinarily these events attract no especial attention in this country as there are but two persons interested but there may be circumstances under which marriage is not permitted 
in such cases we investigate in this country it is the duty of the educational department to keep a record of everything pertaining to birth marriage and death as all are supposed to be either pupils in school or graduates from school hence the school record is the record of the birth educational attainments name occupation marriage and death of every person we have no such marriage ceremonies as i find described in the literature of the outer world but we keep a most perfect system of records all persons who are allowed to marry at all are free to make their choice no interference on the part of others is permitted as a notice of their intentions they send or bring the nativity cards which they receive on leaving school to the proper office where they are registered as citizens if there is nothing in the record which prevents each couple so united receives an acknowledgment and a copy of the record enclosed in two silver lockets which are usually worn around the neck this is all there is of it unless someone objects in that case there is an inquiry and the commissioner decides according to the facts i have here two nativity cards one is that of thy own of the life-saving service and the other bears the name of paul houston and the date of his registration on the books of the sailors union of citizens at large of altruia at the request of the applicants for registration as man and wife i have invited you as witnesses and will ask if any one objects to their union i object said captain Gonneau. state your grounds of objection said norena because of my certain knowledge and his own admission he has a living wife to whom he was lawfully married is this true asked norena addressing houston it is responded houston i was married according to the usages of the country where i was born and i do not believe that i have any legal grounds for divorce but as a matter of fact the entire transaction was fraudulent state the facts in full said norena i will said houston and he narrated the story of his marriage substantially in the same language that he had related it to me norena turned to captain Gonneau and asked have you any reason to offer why this statement just made by paul houston before these witnesses should not be accepted as true i have not said the captain he admits that he was married to zita wilde that he left her without any offence on her part for which a divorce could be obtained hence he is to-day a married man married according to law and he has no right to marry another woman and i own has no right to take him as a husband that is your view of the matter said norena but under our usages the girl to whom he was married was an imbecile and had no right to be married and on this ground the marriage was null and void besides he was deceived and hence the marriage being fraudulent could not be binding a legal marriage voluntarily entered into cannot be fraudulent and is always binding upon the conscience of all well-meaning people but said norena if she was a person he could not love and respect as a wife was it not better that he should refuse to consummate the relation certainly not said the captain when he was married to her that ended it i've no doubt that he could have lived agreeably enough with her if he had wanted to i see said norena that you are not likely to withdraw your objection so we will not continue the discussion it is my duty to decide in favour of the true and against the false and hence i must overrule your objection to the registration of paul houston and i own as husband and wife do as you please said captain Gonneau. it does not change the facts in the case it is strange to me that any woman would accept a man as a husband under such circumstances so far as i am concerned with my present light on the subject i could not as a conscientious man consent to marry a woman no matter how much i loved her who according to law was the wife of another man as an honourable man i would advise her to return to her husband i had been listening intently to this inquiry here was a case almost identical with my own i had married my guardian of my own free will and like houston when i discovered the fraud by which my consent was secured i had taken to the sea and now the one whom i had loved more than life itself and for whom i had searched for years and with whom 
had braved all the dangers of the frozen north in order to be near his person had for the second time deliberately declared that he would not marry such a woman no matter how much he loved her my entire being was aroused in revolt against such injustice and i rose and said for the second time captain Gannot, i have heard you express this atrocious sentiment which ignores love the only thing which can sanctify the union of the sexes in the marriage relation and place above that the debasing doctrine that man-made laws are superior to the laws of god which are implanted in the human soul without love marriage is a curse unholy and impure love is an inspiration and cannot be transferred by the state or the church if you have never realized what true love signifies of course you are excusable but those who have felt it will never agree with you hewson was right to take the law into his own hands and separate from his imbecile wife to have consummated the union would have been a crime against her against himself and against humanity and now so far as i am concerned i shall drop this question no good can come of the discussion and other questions of far-reaching import to the toiling millions of the outer world demand my undivided attention let us do what we can to abolish poverty by removing time-honoured wrongs and when women are economically free they will be able to select companions who will not trample love under the heel of antiquated wrong End of chapter fourteen part one